Well, we continue in the letter to the Hebrews this morning. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We will continue moving through <clears throat> the section that runs from, chap uh, from verse 5 to verse 14. If you would please stand with me and let's give our attention to the word of God. The letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Brethren, this is God's word. May we delight to hear it, to believe it, and to obey it. Verse 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please remain standing for prayer. Father, I thank thee. 
for manifesting thy great love to us in Christ Jesus the Lord. Truly, O God, may every regenerate say, He is what I want. If it is the world or Christ, I will have Christ. If it is fame, if it is education or Christ, whatever we might put in the blank, there is no comparison to Christ. Oh, may our hearts be filled with the Spirit of God. May the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts. May our eyes be opened to thy truth, O God. We ask thee to come by the mighty power of thy Spirit. We are pleading that that Holy One, that Holy Spirit, that life-giving, that transforming power that is the Holy Spirit. May it be in our midst today. May it touch every heart. Father, are those that are downcast here? Are there those that are joyful here? Father, are there those who are struggling hard with sin, with disappointment, with discouragement? Father, whatever our state Satisfy us with Christ. May thy spirit truly move in our souls. We're asking, O God, in these days, as we watch our world falling under greater and greater darkness day by day, Lord, we want the light of, of, of Christ to shine through us. May our lives be beacons of the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. Father, we have so many needs. We have so many desires to serve Thee, to honor Thee, to walk with Thee, to obey Thy word, to walk in Thy kingdom, this blessed kingdom that we heard about in Mark. Oh, my Father, help us. Grant us eyes to see and ears to hear thy blessed word this morning. May Christ, may Christ make himself known. We pray it in the name of our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> As we continue to examine this holy passage, these words of God, the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ shines brighter, ever brighter. Guided by the Spirit of God, the author of this sermonic letter continues to pile up scripture after scripture 
to reveal the person and work of our Christ as he sits enthroned in the regions of heaven. How lovely Christ is. How lovely Christ is to the believing soul. The lost man, the lost woman, the lost child sees no beauty in him. They might be moved by what they think is a compassion that he showed. They might be moved by the fact that he showed great kindness to the hungry and to the sick, that he did heroic things, but they cannot see past to who he really is. There is no salvation without the Christ of Scripture. Oh, do you know him? He's been set before us verse after verse through the chapter so far. I pray that you are feasting on him. Well, Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. If you are hungry this morning, I pray that Christ will satisfy you. <clears throat> For that very reason, the author gathers up Scripture from numerous places in the Old Testament to persuade his readers to persevere by faith in Christ in perilous times. He isn't simply giving us a Christology. He's not simply giving us a wonderful, glorious doctrine of God. He is doing that. But he's doing this to draw souls away from walking out of the congregations into the safety of Judaism. He wants to hold before them that which is the magnet for a heart that's made out of spiritual metal. To be drawn into him. He wants us to see the beauty, the glory of him who loved us and gave himself for us. To the believing Jews facing persecution, the author produces one contrast after another to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and that everything uh, that, that he is and everything that he has done is what they need. He and he alone saves and preserves those who come to him. He does not guarantee that we will avoid persecution. In fact, he does exactly the opposite. He said, if the world hated me, they will hate you. 
Now, if we're not walking according to the word of God, if we are not reflecting the glory and the beauty of, of a transformed soul, if we are not showing to the world that they have nothing and we have it all, well, they may not take anything that we say or do seriously. But Jesus Christ the Lord is all in all. He is the treasure where is your treasure this morning? It might be in something lawful. It might be something that is not. But if it's not Christ, your heart's in the wrong place. When a sinner tastes the amazing grace of God, repents of sin, and believes on Christ, our blessed Savior becomes all that the hungry soul desires. All that satisfies the soul. All that one longs for in this world. You say, well, that sounds fairly narrow. It is. <clears throat> At least in the eyes of the world. It is absolute and complete freedom for those who've been set free. It is life. There are two things that each of us needs to remember. And they, they sum up in one aspect our lives as believers. <clears throat> Christ died for me. Christ dwells in me. Now, if you really believe that with all your heart, it cannot but change the way you view everything. Christ, Christ died for me. And Christ dwells in me. Well, the Holy Spirit will now help us to continue as we read and then consider the passage here. He wants us to believe that Jesus Christ has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the angels. He wants that to be solidly welded into our hearts. <clears throat> when a sinner comes to Christ, he doesn't know much. But that blessed Christ will teach him more and more and more. He will teach him of the glorious inheritance Christ has. And that no one, nothing in this world is worth trading Christ for. Keep looking at this passage. It's filled with our Savior. So, title of our message is The Angels and Christ Contrasted.
May our loving Heavenly Father lead us by His Spirit and Word into the sweet fellowship of Christ. So we have two main heads this morning. They both begin with the word contrast. Contrast. <clears throat> Angels are flaming spirit ministers of God. I'll, replay, I'll re repeat that. Angels are flaming spirit ministers of God. That's verse 7. <clears throat> and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That comes from Psalm 104. <clears throat> Again, he takes out of, of God's word a nugget. He takes out a beautiful portion to set before us and help us to understand this argument that he's making. The Holy Spirit has just said in verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him. And him, of course, is the Son. That, of course, means that the Son is God. God would never command the worship of anything less than his own nature. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the triune God. <clears throat> so for God to tell the angels to worship the Lord Jesus Christ is really quite remarkable because we, of course, think of the Lord Jesus as God, but we don't think of the unusual situation of the angels looking at a man seating, sitting on the throne and God commanding the millions upon millions of angels to worship that man. That man. No matter how powerful, no matter how beautiful and radiant the angels are, we must not worship them. And there are people in this day that do. <clears throat> in fact, it's not an unusual part of pagan religion. <clears throat> Even John could fall into great error here. In his apocalyptic vision, the Apostle John fell down at the feet of an angel to worship him. Now, many of the older commentators want to take up for him. Well, he'd seen the Lord Christ and he wasn't sure who he was looking at. <laughs> that may be possible. Uh, the Lord doesn't describe for us here what John was thinking. But he knew this. He saw something so glorious and so awesome he fell to the ground. Now, that is a standard posture of submission and worship. Thankfully, the angel said, see thou do it not. Amazing. Rebuked. Rebuked by an angel. 
I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. There's something there for us, by the way. The angel had no problem rebuking the apostle, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Brethren, when we are in error, we need rebuke. We need reproof. We need to be wise in the way that we do it. We need to be gracious. Maybe there's even times when we have to get very strong with some who have become so hardened. But whatever the spectrum, whatever the uh, uh, spectrum of colors of the way we approach people, rebuke is an act of love when it is biblically administered. John was in error, even though he was astonished at what he saw. So, <clears throat> we saw last time that such worship in the apostles' vision is what should be offered to the living Christ. It is being offered. We that are born of God's Spirit will take part in that worship. John's vision says, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. This is over a hundred million. Numbers like that just don't populate our minds. The one and the zeros might, but understanding how many celestial beings and citizens of heaven, that is, our brains can't grasp. I was uh, talking with Brother Jared the other day. I when I graduated from high school, I went with some friends to a pop festival in Dallas, Texas. And there was about, there was somewhere between 125 and 150,000 people all outside filling up several acres, many acres. I liked to be in the front near the stage whenever possible. And I, got, I was up there and I turned around before some of the music began, to look at that crowd. And as far as I could see, all I could see was human beings. I mean, there were trees on the side way out. They had to have a huge place to do this. But 150,000 people, uh, I, I, as I understand it, we have now a, co uh, not a coliseum, but... Uh, we have at least one sports venue that apparently holds 100,000 people. But even then, this is just an astonishing. 100 and, uh, 150,000 people spread as far this way until they hit the fences, you know, and then they just kept going. That doesn't compare to the number that we're talking about here. Our minds would boggle to see this absolute sea of bright, shining, voice-thundering angels. Wow, 
creatures. So, they're gathered for worship. And that's what we have here. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy, brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. Now that means that millions upon millions of mighty celestial beings were in worship were worshiping this enthroned man. We will see it. I'm having trouble picturing it on this side. But I sure try to stretch. What did it look like? Somebody could probably do something with a computer that would give us the idea. But among that vast multitude of worshiping angels are archangels, such as Michael and Gabriel, cherubim with four faces and four wings, seraphims with six wings and voices that shook God's temple in Isaiah's vision, mighty beings that are sometimes called gods, Elohim, mighty ones, principalities, powers, thrones, and dominions because of their power, authority, and heavenly character. These are beings. These are, uh, they're not little porcelain statues. These are mighty beings that do the powerful will of God. They can do things uh, with greater power, greater knowledge than we can imagine. Now, <clears throat> I painted that picture to some degree just to ask this question. Why not? Why shouldn't every creature in eternity bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ, shout his praises, thunder out his glory, his beauty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God-man, the one who laid down his life for his people. And he didn't lay down his life for one of those angels. Not one. Why are they worshiping him? Because of who he is. And they can admire what he's done for fallen human beings. But brethren, listen carefully to me. God sent his son into the world to accomplish the greatest and highest mission imaginable. The salvation of millions upon millions, millions upon millions of sinners. Heaven will be populated, populated with this company of regenerated, redeemed, and glorified sinners that will be like the numberless stars of the sky and like the sands of the sea. It's not going to be a handful of people. 
when God pointed Abraham to the extraordinary expanse of the, the night sky. And he said, if you can count the, the stars, that's the way your seed going to be. He wasn't talking about the flesh and blood seed. He's talking about those born of God's spirit. Those who are his true children, Jew or Gentile, that have the faith in Christ Jesus. Imagine, if you think about heaven, how could a sinner possibly enter that place unless in some way he could be cleansed? Sin is filthy. We need the living Christ who purged us from our sins. Listen, listen again. Think with me. <clears throat> when we think of an untold number of millions of sinners who live in their darkness, live in their hate, hatefulness of, of God and of his people, of, of all those who are separate from God because of the, the darkened hearts that they live in, Think about, think about what that world will look like with all those set free. All of those set free. See, the angels do not have the reason we have to worship. Do you understand that? There's never been an angel saved, and there never will be an angel saved. Jesus didn't die for the angels. He became a man, not an angel. He became a man to die for sinners such as you and I. We have a reason for thunderous worship. We have a reason for not showing up and not caring about the condition or state of our mind when we walk in. We have a reason to come and focus with joy and thanksgiving and praise and adoration. For Jesus Christ, we have a reason to outstrip them in worship. We'll have to have renewed bodies for that. <clears throat> but we sure ought to try down here to do everything we can to catch up with them. We've got the reason. We've got the reason to worship our God. An overwhelming urge should capture our minds and move our hearts to join them in worship because of that great reason. The God-man spilled his precious blood and bore the wrath of God in his body and soul to save us from our sins and eternity in hell. What a contrast. <laughs> All angelic heavenly beings are before the throne and around the throne but Jesus the God man sits on the throne and he is the focus of all worship there is no distraction even in the midst of hundreds of millions how glorious is he do you think of him as the very focal point of the universe. 
He happens to be holding it together right now by the word of his power. The atoms in your body don't sink down through your pew because he holds your body together. What a contrast. All angelic heavenly beings are before the throne, but Christ is on it. He is on that throne, crucified, resurrected, glorified, sitting on a throne. The Holy Spirit then follows the command for angels to worship the Son with the quotation from Psalm 104. And of the angels, he, God, saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. With that, let us consider the nature of angels for a moment. Our first subheading here is God makes his angels spirits. As the author of Hebrews continues to magnify the superiority of Christ, he makes clear that the Son is the creator and the angels are his creation. In other words, the sacred text compares their natures. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Son is infinite in nature and the angels are finite. The Son made them spirits, heavenly beings that are immaterial. They do not have fleshly human bodies. The Son is both eternal spirit and glorified flesh. There's nobody else like him. We will be like in the sense of reasonable facsimile. But we will not be him. We will not be gods. But we will be in union with God. We are now. We will be then. Oh, brethren, do you think about heaven? We should. Be honest. Most of our thoughts are anchored right down here. But do you stop and think that Christ shed his blood that we might be with him in that eternal glory, in that vast, eternal glorious place. And what will matter the most to us is that he's there. It's so sad. And I, I, I don't want to offend anyone unnecessarily here. I don't particularly want to offend anyone necessarily this morning. But let me say this to you. Many of us have had loved ones that have departed. We would love to see them again. Isn't that not so? I mean, I miss my mother. And I know that many of you miss loved ones and friends that have passed out of this world into the next. But heaven, 
while they will be there, and we will no doubt enjoy them, heaven is about Christ. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll all be thrilled <laughs> for who's there. We'll likely, as the old saying goes, be shocked at who isn't. But friends, you and I want to see Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. No one in this world has done anything like that for us. My mother was one of the most giving people I've ever known in my life. Never met a stranger. And yet, as much as I dearly love her, and I do look forward to that moment when I will be reunited, <clears throat> I want to see Christ. My mom gave me much, gave herself to me selflessly, and you all have loved ones in your life that have done that. <clears throat> but nothing compares to what Christ has done. Heaven is about Christ. There is in theology what is called the beatific vision. <clears throat> it's also called vision of God. It's a part of theology going back to the earliest parts of the church. I would not be in agreement with much of what has been taught by the Roman Catholic organization. But throughout the history of God's people, God's people want to see Christ. That vision, that satisfying you're going to see the one that all the angels worship. Not only that, you're going to worship with them. You won't, be, you won't lose your voice. You won't get hoarse. Nobody will be trying to sing through a cold. It won't be that way. As I've said before, we will be there in a state beyond anything we can imagine right now. Everything that we are will be perfected. All of our senses will be to the max. Our eyes won't need glasses, no contacts, won't need it. Won't need hearing aids, won't need all kinds of things. We will just see the blessed Christ. He was made and our eyes were made to lock together. You will see him who is love. Do you think about that? It's okay to think about friends, those that are loves. It's wonderful to think about family. But do you think about Christ who saved you? Do you spend time in prayer with him that draws you up and that makes you long for him, for many, he's just kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card, and they go on with their lives for important things. Mm -mm. When Christ saves someone, he does something to them. He makes them new creatures. 
the Son, seated in glory. Our ears will hear music and singing, thunderous praise, and in my guess, everybody know what that means? I'm just guessing. In my guess, the very sight of him will draw out of us praise and adoration. We will see those eyes. We will see those glorious hands and feet. And we will realize this is what I was made for. This is the love I was made to know. This is the love that stirs my heart. This is the love that motivates me. Well, while angels are mighty creatures that stand in the presence of God, they are inferior to the Son, as clearly revealed in chapter 1, verse 2. By whom, the Son, also He, God, made the worlds. Only God can create. Everybody, has, everybody else has to use what He's made. And that making the world includes the angels. In verse 3, in which Christ is described as upholding all things by the word of his power, which includes angels. This is all set before us in a way it's so easy to read over it and just not stop and think, what is being said here? No angel ever created anything. They might do powerful things, but Christ spoke a universe into existence. Nothing else compares. You and I all have to use stuff that God has made. I used to go down outside the gates of LSU to witness to people down there after the Lord had saved me. I made friends with a man who was an, an artist I had been in the art department when I was in college and uh, I had something of a warm spot for crazy artists. So I would go down and talk with him and uh, he was showing me a new work that he'd done. I said, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I said, but you know, it's really interesting because he, he kept saying, I created this, I created this. And I said, Actually, you haven't created anything. You have taken what is already in existence and used it really well. He didn't like that. <laughs> that was not to him a compliment. And I said, well, just be honest with me for a minute. You didn't come up with a new shape. There aren't any new shapes. I said, you haven't created a new color. 
At least we haven't found one on the spectrum yet. You're still using the same color base that we're all using. You used it, and you used it well. You're a great artist. You hadn't created anything. <laughs> and I'm just saying, people want the glory. And he did. He didn't talk to me for a long time after that. But it's true, isn't it? He didn't create anything. You haven't created anything. You have made some things out of what exists at your best day. <laughs> God creates. Jesus created the entire universe. That's one of the reasons that he's being worshipped. So in his essence, listen carefully, in his essence, knowledge, authority, power, Mission and work. The son is better and has a more excellent name than these spirit beings called angels. Now, the second thought there is that God makes his ministers a flame of fire. God makes them a flame of fire. <clears throat> the angels here are now called ministers. Now, the word translated ministers means a person who renders special service. person who renders special service, a servant. So, the heavenly spirit beings that our text calls angels are servants of God. In the previous thought, we were looking at their nature. Now, we're looking at what they do. And that is precisely what he compares and what he contrasts with the Lord Jesus. Jesus' nature and his work. So, these angels serve him in carrying out God's will. Sometimes on earth among men and women, sometimes in heaven, in the worship of God. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this in Scripture. In Genesis, God placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Here, we have just one example of many that stretch through both Testaments of the examples of the angels doing God's will. I want you to guard... That garden, and that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's serving the will of his sovereign. And Jesus Christ served his father too. Is this not astonishing? He became a man humbling himself to do whatever his father told him to do. Now, some of us might go, yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of the way the rule was in my house. And even what to say, oh, that's different. Jesus said, he's given me a command, what I should say, what I should speak. He didn't speak. He didn't just pop off, didn't waste his time. He didn't sit around trying to think up jokes to make the disciples laugh. He said what God the Father commanded him to speak. So it was always wise, always good, 
always transforming, or always damning. <clears throat> In Revelation, seven angels with seven trumpets announce God's judgments. Then seven, then seven angels pour out God's wrath. They're, they do. They are his feet and hands, so to speak. God didn't have to do it that way. He doesn't have to use us. He doesn't have to use angels. It's his order of things. He's done it that way. And so we see them. He tells them, pour out wrath upon them. It's awesome in the most profound sense of that word. Destroy. Destroy. And love. Revelation ends with, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He could have done it. He is God. But he used an angel. And he uses us. He should, we should worship and adore him for using us in anything. Far too often, I'm going to tell you what, those those who criticize the doctrines of grace and say, ah, well, this makes people inert and they're not interested in uh, evangelizing and all that kind of stuff. That's true in a lot of quarters. God saved us to serve him, just like he sent his son to serve him. And just like the Son and the Father send angels to serve him. Brethren, we ought to be the most active people in the world for the kingdom of God. I'm fearful that is one of the reasons the darkness is shrouding this nation. And it is shrouding. So, these angelic ministers are a flame of fire. Both God and angels are associated with fire in both Testaments. The living God himself is a consuming fire. We have it in Deuteronomy and then again here in Hebrews. When God's presence came down to give his covenant law to Israel, Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2 says that in some way the angels were involved in giving the law. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, in that context, it's talking about the law God gave on Mount Sinai. Psalm 68, 17 declares, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Ezekiel saw in his vision at the river Kibar, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning among the living creatures. Creatures and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. 
They are brilliant. They are radiant. They look like fire. Some of them at some times. But they're always associated with this brightness. They are described as bright, shining, dazzling, like lightning and flames of fire. These are creatures that if we saw them, we, would, we wouldn't think, oh, you know, I've seen some computer graphics and movies better than that. That would not happen. We would probably do what John did, fall on our faces and worship and then receive a good rebuke from the angel. And when people say, oh, I've seen an angel, yeah, well, doesn't sound like it from your description. Don't watch television about angels. Don't listen to Hollywood about angels. Go to the word of God. So, God and angels. God's angels are his servants performing his mighty will. And they are often, often uh, in both the Old and the New Testament scriptures. However, the angels have great knowledge. The Son has all knowledge. There's comparison. He's saying, well, here they are. They're spirit beings. Well, Christ is spirit also. <clears throat> As the Son of God in eternity, before his incarnation, he was a, the spirit <clears throat> that we call the Son. He had a spiritual body. <clears throat> Whatever that is, I have no idea. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all sharing that same essence. The angels are mighty, but the Son is almighty. The angels are God's servants, but the Son is God's King. The angels are strong and wise creatures, but their Son is the creator. The angels stand around the throne in God's presence. The son sits in God's throne. The angels do God's will in heaven and earth. The son did God's will and now rules the universe. The angels worship with thundering voices in heaven. But the Son is the object of their worship. The angels are flames of fire. But the Son is consuming fire. As the Messianic King upon his throne, the Son has inherited a more excellent name than the angels. Well my brethren. <clears throat> when we take these things into consideration. If we ever think about them. I urge you to consider. The spirit has gone. To what I might call. Painstaking. Limits. To say here's your God. 
Here is your Savior. Here is the one that heaven is all about. Here is the one that fills my heart with joy and praise and adoration. His love causes me to love others. Do you know him? Oh, I want to say to those of you that are lost, Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming and there will be judgment. And then there will be eternity. You need to ask yourself, are you ready for that? Well, I don't believe it. I won't stop it. That will not change it. Jesus Christ is willing to save all who come to him in repentance and faith. No angel at any time has done a redemptive work for you that would save you. That's all the work of Jesus. I'm not saying they couldn't help you. I'm not saying they might not have been the ones that whispered in your ear to pick up that track. They, might not, they may have been the ones that flatted your tire so that you couldn't do what you wanted here, but you ended up over here hearing the gospel. Oh, they might do those things. I don't know. We do see that they serve God in whatever he wants them to do, which will always be righteous and always be good. But I say to you with all my heart, <clears throat> No angel, fascinating as he or it may be, can save your soul. Only Jesus Christ, the God-man, the one who did the Father's will, the eternal Son who became flesh. There was that extraordinary miracle of truly God, truly man in one person. I pray that you will listen carefully and take the scriptures and read them. Read the Gospel of John and ask the Lord to teach you before you read any word. Read and say, Christ, teach me who you are. The angels, the millions upon millions of them, are shouting his praises. And you know what? I think that shouting, that noise of many waters, that thunderous praise that will move our bodies and souls, it won't be noise. It won't be noisy. Our voices will be added to it. Praise you. Praise you, oh God, for saying my, saving my soul. Thank you for sending your son for such a fool and a wretch as I. Oh, if you do not know him, please. The God-man saves sinners. Come to him. We've been talking about him for weeks now. He's in the spotlight over and over. And here, no matter what you might think of angels, he's greater, better, and has a more excellent name. Come to Jesus Christ. And those of you that know him, 
Seek his face early. Fellowship and commune with him. Prepare yourself for the time when we will see him in his beauty. I had a friend who wrote a song once, and the chorus of it was, Someday Jesus will call my name. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change in the day that Jesus calls my name. Read Samuel Rutherford and see what a human being can experience in seeking the face of God. Better still, read David in the Psalms and fellowship with your God. Jesus is better than the angels. Amen. Lord Jesus, what vessel of dust, what weak and feeble human can serve thee as we ought to serve thee? Lord, we thrill when we learn a little more about thee in the word have a better glimpse of thee, how great thou art. And yet, O oh Lord, as we see more of who thou art, we realize how little we know thee. Oh, the depths of thy love. Oh, the power of thy grace. Oh, the wonder of thy mercy to sinners such as we. Father, may our hymns be unto thee wholeheartedly. May our prayers be unto thee wholeheartedly. May our love to thee be wholehearted. Help us to be good detectives of those things that blot out by glorious light in our hearts. Help us Lord, to spend enough time with thee to prepare our hearts to join those glorious praises in heaven. Now bless thy people. Feed them also and lift them up forever. May they love thee and fellowship with thee throughout this day. And Lord, if thou dost come back, may we be caught red-handed, loving thee and loving thy people. We pray it in thy name. Amen. Well, brethren, today we have our third of the month meal. For those of you that are staying, if you would stand with me, I will give a benediction. And then we'll ask one of the deacons to 
let us know when they're ready for us to go back there. This is an unusual choice for uh, a benediction. We always want the scriptures read, and I usually like to find something that verbally calls down blessings upon God's people. This will be a little different, but we'll just say this is a reminder benediction. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant <clears throat> and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. May the Lord lead each of us to a mind like that. Let's go in the name of Jesus.